0: Church family, would you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to begin looking at verse 25 and following. uh, Next Sunday, Pastor Bill will begin an Advent series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, But this morning, we're looking at this passage in Ephesians 4. It's building from the previous sections. And Covenant Kids, I'm going to ask you to draw something which may be really difficult to to draw. And parents, even as you're thinking about this, or adults... um, you can think about this image in your mind. Do you remember those uh, color by number images? You know, they're the little odd shapes that uh, as you see a number in that shape, you take and you match it to the color you're supposed to draw it in. So all the ones are red and all the twos are blue. And, and sometimes you have no idea why you're drawing in this particular color. But after you've drawn them all in, what you see is a beautiful mosaic something that you couldn't see when it was black and white. What God's doing with his church is he's calling us to examine our lives so that we would build our identities on Christ. And as we build our identities on Christ, it's like God's painting a beautiful mural of the church, a mural that's beautiful, that testifies to his grace and his love in the world around That's who we are as a church, and we're called to examine our own hearts as if we're drawing in those odd shapes in light of the new identity that's in Christ. Well, think about that, and if you can draw that, let me know, kids. I'd love to see it afterwards. Uh, But this is, let's turn our hearts to God's word from Ephesians chapter 4. This is his holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, how great is your love for your people. You've called us out of darkness into an imperishable kingdom of your Son, one that will not fade, one that will not be corrupted by sin. Lord, we ask that you'd bring us to your word, that we would be shaped and transformed by it, that we would not be lacking or found apathetic, but that we would live in light of how you are interweaving our lives together for the sake of your kingdom. So lead us by your spirit, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Do you remember a time in your life when you were blinded to yourself? We all have those moments when we're blinded to ourselves. We don't realize what we're doing. I remember as a child, I was probably about nine or ten, I was given my first opportunity to watch my younger siblings on my own. My mom was going next door to have coffee with the neighbor, and I was tasked with this responsibility, and I was excited about it. I was so sure I was going to do the best job and get plenty more opportunities to be in charge, probably in control. (laughs) Now, my mom gave me instructions to care for my siblings, but I knew I was to keep them from going to her because I was the one in control. So not long after that, I was given that responsibility. One of my sisters came up just crying over something, something inconsequential. I don't even remember what it was. Crying, asking for mom, demanding to speak with mom. No, no, you can't go next door. I'm protecting mom. Well, she resisted. Rebelliously, she ran out the door. I gave her my instructions louder and louder. And as she ran across the yard, I ran over to the the window. And and I'll tell you, I still remember this in my head. I just barely put my hand on that window and completely cracked a double-pane window, (laughs) shattering it. Now, Think about what happened when my mom came home. Who's the one in trouble? (laughs) Not the one who was crying and who needed her mom, but the one who thought he was in control, who shattered glass. And in the, the midst of that moment, sin had blinded me to my own pride, my own desires, my own will. I was going to be the one in control. I was going to be the one who showed my parents that I was big enough to handle this. That's what sin does in our lives. Sin blinds us to ourselves. It blinds us to the realities of who we are. It makes us want to think of ourselves as the ones who are righteous, the ones who are good. Even in my own actions... I wasn't reflecting my mother's heart. I was reflecting my own desires, my old self. And sin misleads us to believe that we are good and righteous at times on our own, apart from God. That what we want is our wills and our priorities to be the center of our lives, to be seen as self sufficient, in control. An old pastor friend of mine said it this way: He said, "You are not the center of the universe. I am." <laughs> That's how we live our lives at times, when we get caught up in our sin, it blinds us to, to make us think that everything needs to revolve around me. And I no longer seek the glory of God. I'm seeking my own glory. At times, as believers in Christ, it it makes us think that we can live apart from God's grace and provision. It can even make us think that we are worthy of God's mercy. Another pastor put it this way. When we believe that we're worthy of God's grace, uh, when we seek to live in our own self-sufficiency, we've stolen from the glory of God's grace. We've said that what he supplies is not what I need because I have enough. Well, the Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesians in this passage, he's telling them that we need a renewed life and to live in light of a renewed life that only comes in Christ. Uh, He describes it in the verses that precede our section in verses 22 and 24. If you have your Bibles, you can look up there and see it. Uh, Pastor Bill preached on this last Sunday. But it's it's almost language of clothing change. Uh, I've got an old self, an, an old way of thinking about my life, that everything revolves around me, that I must put off and put on a new set of clothing, a new identity, An identity that's created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a new identity that takes our eyes off of ourselves and places them on the goodness and righteousness that comes from God. Paul's saying that in Christ... Being united to Jesus, we're renewed in our likeness, in our image of who God is. uh, uh, The image God created us to be in, in the garden. It's a renewed image that enables us to show Jesus to the world around us. It's really a truly amazing thing to think about that he's he's actually taking away our sin and covered us in Christ, but that he's actually given us a new way to live and think about the world that testifies to the grace of who Jesus is in the world. It's something that actually builds unity. Unity, which can be so hard when our lives are focused on ourselves, when we live in our old self, when everything revolves around me. Unity occurs in the church when we step out of ourselves into Christ, when we start coloring our own shapes. Because it's so easy to think of unity as, well, if those people would just change, if, if they would just become more like me, we would have unity. And Paul is actually calling us to, to color in our own odd shapes, to examine our own hearts, to be built upon an identity that Christ gives us. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul shifts here from a whole section of truths. He's only given us one command so far. In Ephesians 2.11, he gives a command to remember. But here he gives us 11 commands in this short section. And he's not calling us just to do, 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 do. He's calling us to be in Christ and therefore live that out in these ways. I'm going to categorize them in three ways. The first one is we we live with renewed speech. Look with me in verse 25. This is our opening verse. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for members of one of another. This is a pretty simple command. Yet how hard it is. Just speak truth. Speak truthfully to one another. And the falsehood that Paul describes in the verse, it's a falsehood that's not just a lie, but it's a distortion of the truth. It's the same kind of lie that Satan shared in the garden with Eve and Adam it's a, it's a lie that takes the, the truth of what God has said that's for the good of his people and twists it and distorts it to challenge the character and the nature of God to believe he's not sufficient for us. our renewed speech has to be truthful. We have to be honest with one another and, and part of that honesty is an honesty about ourselves. Who are we? Well, we're needy people. We're redeemed saints because of the work of Christ. And, And Paul puts this little caveat on the end that's very important because we need one another. We belong to one another. We speak truth because we are dependent upon each other. And that calls us not just to speak truth clearly, but to speak truth honestly, truthfully about our own struggles and our own needs, our own shortcomings, so that we would belong and depend upon one another. God's calling us not to live in isolation, which is what the old self wants, is to live on its own, but he's calling us in truth to live with one another, to reflect the belonging that God has built between us. You can't live an isolated life in Christ. And Paul continues to describe this renewed speech and life in verses 26 and 27. He describes it in this way: He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul again places two words in the imperative: be angry. And many of us know the dangers of our anger, sometimes with very unhealthy tempers. But there are good and righteous forms of anger. Anger at abuse, injustice, at sin and the effects of sin in the world. How it it breaks our hearts at times. Anger actually motivates us. It, It keeps us from apathy to sin. And Paul is calling us to to be angry at the the broken places in the world, but but not to sin, not to sin with our words. And James 3 talks about it this way. Our tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. We have to guard our tongues when we are angry. So our words aren't destructive or devastating. They're not sinful in the ways that we speak and bring harm in the world. And, and, and Paul pa- pairs that the, the, the speaking too quickly with the speaking too slowly. Do not let the sun go down on your anger as well. And what's Paul saying here? Well, he's not saying resolve all your issues before the sun comes down. But he's saying deal with your anger before it becomes a part of a festering, a festering aspect of your heart towards another person, towards another image bearer in the world. He's commanding us to examine our hearts and and, and examine them in light of this verse 27 to not give opportunity to the devil. Sense what the word devil there is a slander. uh, The devil is one who wants to damage the purposes of Christ to seek harm Dissension disunity and renewed speech means that we're careful even in our anger careful with our words not using them apart from the purposes of Christ that are for the good of his people something to examine in our hearts and and Paul builds off of this uh, he, he, he continues to talk about speech if you jump down to verse 29 with me Paul's not only in telling us that we need to speak truthfully and to, and to speak in a timely way. He's telling us that, that speech is very important for how it reflects our hearts. Look in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The phrase corrupting talk is, a, is, a, is an interesting one. It's, it's a reference to, to almost what we would consider bad fruit becoming putrefied, decaying. It's talk that, that reflects a heart that's seeking to actually tear others down, including our own hearts. How quickly our, our hearts can speak, <laughs> And it reflects, our words can reflect what's inside of us. And it can actually continue to perpetuate uh, unhealthy conversation, unhealthy views and desires for others. In a way, our speech is a litmus test of our identities. Because what we speak about shares what we believe about ourselves and our new identity in Christ. Am I holding on to my hurt and allowing that hurt to give in to anger and, or pride? Am I injuring others by the way that I live in my old self with my words, including myself? But notice what Paul says here in this verse. It's not just that we're going to stay silent. Some of you had parents or grandparents who said, if you've got nothing good to say, What? Don't say anything at all. Paul doesn't say that either. He actually tells us that our words, a renewed speech, is not silence, but for the building up of others. We're to actually use our words constructively to be thinking of how we can encourage and strengthen those, to give grace to those who need to hear, to speak honestly about it, but to construct something. Something good and beautiful. There was a dear, sweet woman I knew who was, had to, to, who'd been walking with Christ for many, many years, but she had to go into an assisted living facility. There she'd spend the rest of her days. And she had been really injured in her life. Years before, there had been sin against her that left her having to feel like when she walked out the door, she looked completely made up. She had to look in her mind perfect. And when I went to go visit her in this assisted living, you know, she couldn't get herself ready, but she she actually she she yelled at me to get out of the room for a moment. And with tremors that had developed in her body, she tried to put lipstick on her lips. And when I walked in, when she invited me back in, she had me sit down and, and she just burst into tears. I'm not beautiful. "I can't be beautiful." And, and, and she wrestled with this identity of, of, of what she looked like, because of the brokenness in her own heart and the experience of others that had hurt her, had sinned against her. And she sat, and we talked more and more about the promises of God. She began to start dwelling not on her inability to be loved but on the promises of God that declare her beautiful and dignified in him. She sat on that. She lived in this identity, calling herself a daughter of the king, Day after day she would get up, I'm a daughter of the king, I belong to my savior, I'm loved by him, he gave his life for me. And day after day, more and more, she became more and more confident of the promises of God in her. To the degree that she started testifying of God's love for her to her roommate, to her next door neighbor's. To the nurses that came in, do you know you are loved? Do you know that in Christ you can belong to something greater than yourself? And suddenly this woman who had built her life around this broken part of her identity had become a missionary in a place where she delighted to be because she could live in the identity of Christ amongst all around her. You see, our speech matters. And what we say to ourselves and what we say to others is a renewed speech because of the identity that Christ gives us. Paul calls us to have that renewed speech, to build one another up. And he tells us also to examine our hearts, to build a renewed integrity around him as well too. Look at verse 28. Paul challenges the church in this way, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who's in need. It's an interesting thought to think that Paul is writing this to the Ephesian church and he's telling them, don't be thieves. Why would he tell the church not to be thieves? Well, it could be in the ancient world that thieving, stealing was a very common occurrence. It also could be that he's pointing out that those in the church, we have an old identity that we're striving to shed off. And so we all are sinners. We're all in need and we all do things that that make us uh, sin against God and against one another. And we are to, to understand that about ourselves and turn from that. And it could also be that Paul's trying to share this new identity, and this becomes a great illustration for how we are to live in a renewed life, a new integrity in Christ. Because what does a thief do? A thief, their whole life revolves around themselves. They seek to acquire at the cost of others, at the hard work of those around them. And it's a mindset of, of how can I acquire to the expense of others? a mindset that we can all struggle with at various times, whether it's the employee who's clocking in when they shouldn't, or whether it's whether we look at our taxes and, and, and account everything the way that we should, we can all struggle with stealing. But more than that, Paul's challenging us to examine that our life and our, our productivity doesn't revolve around ourselves. Because look at what Paul says, it's not just that the thieves should no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Let him toil for hard work with his own hands. Something productive. Something that we can tangibly use in the lives of others. Those who have been trained in medicine. Help those who are hurting. Those who are trained in a legal profession. Help those who need legal help. Those who are struggling with, with IT or finances. And you know those things. Help those who are in that situation. Paul's saying, don't consider your work about yourself, but consider how to bring opportunity and care for others that you are actually to provide for those around you. It's a picture of what Proverbs 29, 2 talks about. Some of you will remember this or know this, but it's a Solomon's proverb that says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. And Solomon's observing that, that the righteous they cause those around to rejoice. And it's not because they're just good people. It's because the righteous are those who, who know the heart of God. And so they live their lives knowing the needs of the people around, giving of themselves for others. It causes rejoicing in a city. Paul is explaining to us that our work its to build up others, is to contribute to the needy is to communicate ultimately the love of God so that the world would see and taste that God is good. And Paul continues to challenge us in this he, he continues if you look in verse 30 to talk about how our work can actually grieve God. Do not grieve the holy spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's amazing to me that God cares about our actions that our action or inaction can impact him, that it can cause him to be sorrowful or grieved. And how do we do that? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, think about who the Holy Spirit and his work is. It's to testify to the person and work of Jesus. It's to draw your attention away from ourselves unto Christ and his love. To grieve the Holy, Holy Spirit is to harden our hearts to the work of Christ, to isolate ourselves, to give in to our old identities. And this isn't what he came to do, though. If you look, Paul says he was there to seal our lives, to secure us to the very end. His desire is to continue to point you to the renewed life in Christ. And this includes renewed desires. As Paul describes these in great details in verse 31, very specific commands. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. When we read the contrast it's, from Paul, it's, it's looking at how the griefing of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it turns our thoughts and our speech and our work away from Christ. Puts us back in the center Paul's point is God has chosen to change the world with the gospel through the people who he's transforming their desires into this new identity in Christ, one shape at a time. I had a mentor once tell me, Uh, There were a number of challenges in the ministry I was involved in. There were a number of things that I I just saw weren't being driven by the gospel. They were being driven by by financial success or uh, by the desire for greatness in this ministry. And a mentor told me, Jake, you can only focus on your relationship with God. (laughs) You want to change the world. You want to see God transform all the hearts and lives Focus on how you need to be transformed into the image of Christ. Don't focus on their needs. Don't look for their specks before you find the logs in your own eyes. Paul is challenging the church to seek to love one another, to put away the malice, and to be kind and tender-hearted regardless of the circumstance or the relationship that we have. He doesn't put qualifiers on this, but he calls us to it so that the grace of God might become more known as we care for one another. You know, this is a temptation for all of us to struggle to show kindness to one another. We look for reasons why people are suffering Pharisees did this. They they did this in such a way that they told a blind young man that the reason why he was blind was because his parents sinned. They found reasons to point fingers. Jesus corrected this among his disciples. He called them to examine their own hearts and lives because we are all sinners that struggle to be loved and cared for. And Paul is explaining to us, be kind to one another. Even as you see those who are struggling, care for one another. Don't use it as an opportunity to hurt or show malice or show your greatness or your own circumstances that's greater than another's. But seek the good of those whom God has placed in your path. As we speak mercy and kindness, we're also to speak forgiveness. Paul says it here at the very conclusion of this passage. As God forgave you, how do we do all of these things? How do we forgive when we've been hurt? How do we be kind when we're frustrated and angry? How do we cover one another Paul tells us we have to look to Christ. We have to point our own hearts and lives towards the grace that comes through Jesus. That we'd be fixated more and more on his work for us. Because it's the grace of God that changes our lives. We can't fix ourselves up on our own. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Christ came into this world to forgive sinners. The the one who was undeserving of the wrath of God had the full wrath of God poured out. His identity became sin so that those who were sinners would become the righteousness of God. Only by looking to the one who came to pursue the lost and the dead to cover them with his righteousness and bring them alive in him who belong to him not because they are good but because of his mercy only by looking to the one who's done that for us, the Lord Jesus. Can we live in a new, renewed life? A renewed life with renewed speech, integrity, and desires towards one another. As we live in that new identity, as we focus on the Lord's work in our lives, God is painting a mosaic, a beautiful picture for the world to see. That's how God changes the world. That's how God brings his grace and his mercy to the very ends of the earth by his work in us testifying that he loved the world in Christ Jesus. the world would see that he's good and that his people would be a vehicle of blessing to the very ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father we thank you for your word Lord your commands which sound so simple so easily we want to say we can just do this and yet Lord our old identities our old patterns Lord, we know we need to be renewed in your son. Help us to put on Christ so that we would live in his identity that he's given us, that your grace may be made known throughout the world and that we would live in love and unity for the sake of your kingdom. Give us the mind of Christ, we pray, that your will would be done as we seek to walk with you today. And this week, we pray in Jesus' name.